Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the opportunity to come together to focus on this issue. God, I thank you that um, you are a God who forgives us. Lord, um, we have a ton of resistance, and we have a ton of um, psychological, um, intellectual obstacles in trying to receive your love, your forgiveness, in trying to receive truth. We have lots of things that get in the way, distractions, um, expectations of what things like even services like this ought to look like. Um, we have expectations on you, maybe are false and uh, maybe unfair. And I ask and pray this morning, God, that we would set aside our expectations. You would, by your spirit, allow us to be open to new um, ideas, new things, um, but more importantly, open to your spirit, speaking truth into our souls. And I pray this morning that would happen. God, we need you desperately. Forgive us for not acknowledging that. We need you this morning. We need you every hour of every day. Uh, Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more um, and help this hour to be a time where we can get to know a little bit more about who you are and what you have for us. We pray this in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's welcome Levi the Poet. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, good morning. Is this on? Check, check. There it is. Uh, good morning. You all right? Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, and Brian already kind of introduced what we're going to do this morning, but I just wanted to say thanks for listening to me yesterday. And also, today is going to be a little bit more of like, okay, what the heck did you do yesterday? <laughs> uh, so we've been gathering some questions from some of you. Brian's got those printed out, and he's going to do this kind of interview style with me. Um, I just, I understand uh, that my work <laughs> is uh, dense, and I understand that it's, it's not the traditional, like, kind of, sermon linear path uh, to follow. And so we're going to talk a little bit about why that is. Um, and, I, and I guess I also just wanted to say, um, you know, a lot of what I started to communicate yesterday is a lot of what I started to write when I was in high school, uh, when I was your age. I was the kid, uh, you know, against the fence writing in his journal while my friends were playing soccer. <laughs> like, what is going on uh, inside of me? And so it's, it's rad uh, in, 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 in my own experience to be able to, to get to perform things like that for, uh, for everyone here and maybe especially for those of you who, who uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know how to communicate it beyond saying like, um, who need to know that you're not alone in your experience. Uh, life has not been the easiest thing in the entire world, and that's no pity party, and everybody has their own version of what that looks like, and we're just going to get into a little bit more of mine this morning. So hopefully we answer some questions, and uh, hopefully that'll be beneficial. And then at the end of all of this, uh, I'd like to just close out with, with one poem um, that I wish that I would have heard. <laughs> I, w I wish I would have had permission to have listened to um, when I was your age, not that I'm that old, and like we talked about yesterday, I've got this baby face, so even though I'm 32, I look like I'm 14 still, so uh, we can still be on that level together. Some of you look older than me. Lucky, lucky, lucky. But uh, 
that's that. That's the plan. So thanks for hanging out. All right. Okay. So uh, thanks, Levi, for explaining that. And I think we'll start with a couple questions. So we did um, ask for some questions from some folks from sixth and eighth hours yesterday uh, at the end of the day, and you guys asked some wonderful questions. Um, one of the first things um, that someone said is, um, oh man, I, maybe I shouldn't share that one. This, this, is not, this, this is not a question. I really like his work, but the freshmen were ruining it. Okay, sorry. Man, that's okay. There you go, freshman. Uh, I wanted the person who wrote that to come up to me after the table, <laughs> though, and talk to me yeah, about yeah. it. Be gracious. Okay. Uh, also, Su hablas espanol, and do you write poems in Spanish? I guess that's because of the Albuquerque thing. All right. Uh, no, just fun question for starters. Someone else asked also. Uh, what do you think of lyrical rap? Uh, do you hold its vulgarity against it, or do you still see a beauty in their lyrics? Uh, and what are your favorite lyricists? Um, I'm not sure if I should mention those two names that were mentioned here or not. I don't know who those are. So. Oh, I don't know that much about them anyway. I mean, I know who they are, but so. Um, well, I think my answer to that question could best be uh, articulated in just, I, I, I don't know what it says that like my favorite rapper is Eminem. <laughs> so uh, I, I grew up listening to Eminem all like I've got I could do I could rap almost every Eminem song that there is. So as far as um, do I hold vulgarity against it, I guess my honest answer is not very much. I think that the dude is talented and I think that his talent is evidence of the creator creativity given to us by a creative God. So uh, I love rap. I love lyrical rap. Kendrick Lamar is one of my favorites, and um, that's just the way that it is. And uh, as far as his, um, uh, I, I, and I and I like I like guys like that. But not well. Not, let's get Eminem out of there for a minute. I don't know if he's actually contributing a whole lot to us. Uh, K. Dot though is like saying some really amazing things about. Um, social justice about uh, you know like uh, about um, about a, a way of being in the world that is redemptive and restorative and so I think that beneath uh, the language that some people might want to part ways over there's a lot to be offered in work like that so yeah that's my honest answer yeah, thanks Levi um, so let's uh cut to the questions that were uh, most asked. Yeah. Um, in particular, one of the reasons we're sitting here in this format today is that as we had conversations with you as students and staff and faculty, there was a lot of um, confusion, um, lots of appreciation, lots of different responses to your poetry um, yesterday. And some of the questions, I think, that emerged from the students yesterday get at that. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you explain some of the things you said yesterday? Overall, uh, what was your poem trying to communicate? Can you explain the poem better? Uh, sometimes I didn't understand what you were saying. Uh, and then there's two, in particular, two specific parts. Um, and and some, some students are wondering, is your poem, was your poem personal experience and testimonial? Mm -hmm. um, and then there were two elements that they asked about, you can see there. But mm -hmm. um, I'll let you just address kind of whatever aspect of that you think you'd like to go with. Yeah. Yeah, well, first of all, um, what, I, what I shared yesterday was more of a series of poems uh, that are pieces that I really like to blend together to try to create a narrative that kind of moves folks along uh, from 
maybe a place uh, of brokenness to a place of redemption. So getting to the end and saying, you know, talking about the forgiveness and talking about continually pressing into that as opposed to uh, the hurt or the bitterness or the uh, trauma that perhaps some of the earlier pieces express is, like I said from the very beginning, I'm a big fan of storytelling that people can enter into. And so when you ask about whether or not it's testimonial, the answer is, yeah, absolutely. When I first started writing, um, actually I should say when I first started performing, I basically took my journal entries and then recreated them into performance pieces. And I think that even though I'm grateful folks liked my writing and thought that I was talented uh, just objectively as an artist, the thing that really captured folks' attention was that they could relate to the kinds of things that I was talking about. And I think especially within the Christian faith world that I came from, a lot of what I started to communicate were things that were really taboo. And what, you know, I, whether or not they should have been, in my opinion, they shouldn't have been. Um, but there was an opportunity to discuss the real that was happening beneath the nice smiley church mask thing that I liked to wear, that we liked to wear. And it was capturing something inside of the hearts of other people who said, oh yeah, I've been there, I've experienced that, why aren't we talking about that? I've been hurt too, I've been abused too, I struggle with this too. Um, so, a little bit more about me. I mean, I, I grew up the son of a missionary. I'm a PK, pastor's kid. Uh, my, my mom and my dad did uh, work bringing scripture to what's called Access Restricted Asia all growing up. And um, I, was, I was raised in the church. Um, and during all of that, I was also dealing with a kind of cognitive dissonance that my, my dad wasn't well. Uh, my dad struggled with a lot of mental health issues. There's a question as a part of what Brian just asked that says, what was the part about the blood on the arm about from some of the poetry yesterday? Well, my dad had a lot of uh, mental health issues and, um, and, and eventually that led up to his suicide 10 years ago in 2011, January of 2011. So there was a part in the poem yesterday that talked about, you know, come October, I thought that I could do it, but November threw us into a whirlwind again. So October, right now, 11 years ago, was like the first time that I started to realize, oh man, I don't know if my dad's gonna be around much longer. And, uh, and, and so writing, has always been a therapeutic means of expression for me. It's always been the way by which I uh, not only express myself, but come to find what I actually believe about what I would like to express to others. And so when these things in my family started to happen, my writing started to, I started to incorporate that kind of stuff in my writing. I started to I started to realize, man, everything is not, you know, it, for one, and there's a lot of faith that I write about and also a lot of struggles with the, that faith that I write about because I started to realize, oh, 
whatever I thought about how picture perfect this was all supposed to be because I have the God inside of me uh, is not the same thing as being uh, pulled out of painful human experience. In fact, that God, the uniqueness of the Christian God and the person of Jesus is his incarnate entrance into and participation in the same humanity that I was dealing with in all of my loss, the God who weeps, the God who co-suffers, the Hebrews for God who sympathizes and, uh, and, and knows exactly what it's like to be in my shoes and to be in your shoes. And so all of that started to make its way into my work. And because it simply came naturally to me as somebody who was always journaling, always writing anyway, it was also very naturally for, natural for me to start expressing those things for other people. Um, you know, I, that's just the kind of writing that I do and have done. And so that, you know, that, that gets a little bit more to the heart of some of the hurt and also the heart of some of the healing over the past 10 years to be able to look at and, 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 and to the heart of what the fall focus thing is about as far as forgiveness, which, which for me has, has, has been a long journey of having to come to a place of acceptance. And, uh, and there's a lot of work that goes into the life that we, <laughs> that we have to live. Um, and I find that in poetry, I'm able to uh, express a depth of that story that gets to the heart of the emotion beneath just the facts as they stand. Um, did I did I get to the core of the yeah, question? I think so. One okay. of the other questions that maybe dovetails off of that is uh, have one student asked, have you yourself struggled with depression and anxiety? Yeah, yes is the short answer. Um, yeah, you know, and that was a lot of, uh, that, that's been a lot of my, my story. Um, I, I come from a family with a genetic predisposition to certain mental health issues. Um, I also know that uh, being a kid, trying to hold all of these tensions together, trying to keep the peace, trying to make things okay, uh, made it really really difficult for me to know how to live and exist as myself uh, as opposed to um, you know kind of like this people pleasing and pandering puppeteer who is trying to get other people to function well and according uh, to what I thought that peace should look like like if, we, if only we could make all of this better then maybe it would be okay and there's a weird discrepancy that happens inside of your brain when you realize oh Kid, you're not God, and that's not going to be possible for you. But here, and that's why, you know, I have a poem. I didn't do it yesterday, but I have this poem about how presence is greater than answers um, and how, how I would rather have you than all of my answers. Answers are not a thing that we're promised, and that becomes a trite kind of cliche thing, but you feel the poetry of it in the friendship that you have when you're falling apart and the way that they hug you and hold you and keep you together. You know, even Jesus talks about, like, when you do this unto the least of these, when you give this prisoner water, when you give this naked person clothing, you're doing it to me, and vice versa. And so the presence of God is experienced among his people, 
and um, and so all of that to say, my my battles with anxiety and depression and and starting in high school. And so I talked about how I started writing all of this stuff. It's like I remember getting right out of high school and dealing with a lot of suicidal ideation. I didn't know if I was going to make it. You know, one of the poems that I'll do to kind of close this whole thing out talks about how I'm still here. How in the world am I still here? <laughs> how, how was I ever here in the first place? Like, what an incredible gift, what an incredibly painful gift it is to get to exist in this life at all, let alone with amazing people surrounded by you who love you, who care about you, and who can mirror these truths about who we actually are as fundamentally and inherently valuable back to one another. Um, but again, that the mental health conversation has played a huge role in my poetry over the years, partially because of my own stuff, partially because of my dad's stuff, partially because it was taboo to talk about it, and yet I went out on tour and saw everybody that I knew who was coming out to my shows dealing with it and saying thank you for finally speaking to this. Um, and it's led to some really beautiful, you know, partnerships and opportunities throughout the years uh, to, to get to work with organizations whose, whose main purpose is specifically to speak into things like this and give people a place to call home when there's often not that kind of opportunity uh, in their actual <laughs> physical locational home uh, to say, oh yeah, we're not alone in this thing. And Man, when people, when people come up and tell me, you made me feel less alone, that's, that's the, I know I hit the thing on the head. Like, that's what I want to do with my work. Do you have any um, maybe specific stories that might be um, helpful for students in thinking about what that looks like and how um, somebody maybe came alongside of you or something that was particularly helpful mm. in your journey, um, either with reference to, like, your journey with God or with others in the healing process of those things? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, I kind of spoke to it with the, with the I'd rather have you than all of my answers thing. You know, I, one thing that never was particularly helpful were little trite, truistic pats on the back that said, oh, well, you know, but God's good, though. Or, you know, I, and that's true. That's fine. I understand that it's well-meaning, and I, and I understand the complexity of the human experience and, and, and how another person who's not in that position might just be like, well, I've got to say something. What, what, <laughs> I have to be, I'm, I'm trying to be here. So it's not, it's not like in any way meant to be denigrating. I think a lot of it just came from knowing that I could be around other people no matter how broken I was or lost I felt. That had a lot to do with it, you know, getting to have conversations with folks that pull you outside of yourself. Uh, one of the lines in the piece that I'll close with today talks about how we need to remember that there are voices on the outside of our heads too. And those voices speak truth and they speak life. You know, uh, at the time when I lost my dad, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have come out the same had it not been for the community of people around me and my family who were able to look into it and not, not, uh, not, not judge it, not try to solve it, but to simply be with, you know? And that's, again, back to this whole, the whole reason that I'm still a part of this faith at all is because of the miracle of incarnation. <laughs> that's the thing that has kept me here, like God with us. What a, what a miracle. Um, and, and so, you know, 
And just for the sake of contrast, it's like it's either that or the emails that I got that said, oh, you know what? So sorry that your dad's in hell right now. Oh, I hope that you can forgive him. So sorry that you'll never see him again because of these weird ideas that we have about about death and about you know, about these things that are real and that people struggle with. And we, and we have these thoughts that are like, well, I still need to, like, it, it was like these harsh truth things that people thought that they had to communicate in order to like, I don't know what, I feel, feel a sense of control or superiority or whatever. And then also being able to look at that and say, man, I don't think that at all. There's, there was grace before and there's grace after. And, um, you know, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Kindly get out of here. I'll stick around with the friend I know who's willing to give me a hug in the midst of this. So, I mean, th- you know, that's 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 just the human base level part. I mean, uh, certainly therapy, <laughs> you know, like there are all kinds of things that I'm very, very much uh, a, a proponent of when it comes to becoming a whole human who's able to to look at their experience and say, okay, well, how do we live with this? Because what other option is there? And there can be so much beauty in the midst of the pain as well. Thanks, Levi. Um, maybe on a different note before we launch into another issue and yeah. the theme of this week, uh, is performing poetry your full-time job? <laughs> yeah, how weird is that? It's been 12 years now. Who the heck do you know? Every t- I went and I took my dog, Francis, who's in the car right now, to the dog park around the corner. Thank you to whoever recommended that to me. And I met this lady who talked more than I did. And as you can already tell, that's a lot. So, uh, but she was like, wait, she, yeah, she was, she was like, you do poetry? Like, who the heck do you know who freaking does poetry for a living? <laughs> uh, and so, it's, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, you know, I've done other supplemental stuff, and I'm a writer on top of just being a performance artist. But, uh, yeah, this has been the thing since I quit Starbucks in 2008, you know. But let me tell you, being able to clock in and out of a Starbucks job sounds really appealing a lot of the time. So don't take it for granted. <laughs> Uh, three nights ago, you were, uh, yeah, as an example of that, in St. Louis, two nights ago, you were in Omaha. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, and I've got a bunch more. I mean, I'm touring and playing dates up until Thanksgiving and probably after I take that week off with yeah. my family as well. So I've I've played, th- you know, a thousand or more shows all over the world for the last 10 years, which is absolutely insane and something I'm super grateful for. So let's go back to um, our theme that you had mentioned you were on and emphasized this week uh, was the issue of forgiveness, and you alluded to um, just in the process and the journey with um, your father, Mm -hmm. the issue of forgiveness, and some students asked questions about this. Um, Mm -hmm. The first one, why do you feel like you had to forgive God? You mentioned that in your poem. Yeah. Um, that's a good question, and it feels weird, right? Like, that's a, that's a statement that you have to wrestle with. Like, what bad has God done to me, you know? Uh, and, I, and, I, and when I say, I, I mean, I'm specific about the wording. Like, I feel, I feel like I have to, you know? And, and I think that a lot of that has to do with, with age and growth and a, a preconceived notion of what it looked like to be in relationship with God or what he was supposed to give to me. You know, I think that uh, growing up, I had an idea about following God being some sort of uh, parallel journey that had more to do with escape 
escape from the bad, escape from the difficult, escape from the hard. Um, Pray this, that God might get me out of the difficult situation as soon as possible. Um, I don't know if that was actually what was given to me or just the way that I processed and absorbed that. Uh, what What I also don't know is how that could have ever been the case when looking at a God who's (laughs) <laughs> who modeled the opposite of escape. Uh, like, God, you know, we serve, <laughs> the Christian God is a God who died. His path is one of descent. Even Paul, on the opposite side of the resurrection, says, like, you see, you see Paul's trajectory throughout his writings when he talks about how, you know, like, I'm the least of the apostles. It's like, all right, well, that sounds kind of humble, but there's only like 12 of them <laughs> out of the millions of people in the world. But eventually, eventually Paul gets to a place where he says, I'm the chief of sinners. Like, he goes from least of the apostles, kind of humble, there's 12, chief of sinners, least among the billions in all of human history. And so we look at the dying and suffering God, the fool, the freaking idiot when it comes to what we think about what Godship looks like, in, especially within, I think, our American kind of cultural context that is power, and you see a God who doesn't even speak out to defend himself that's control and you see a God who can't even carry a cross on his back and has to get help to get to his own death. Um, And so when I look at that God, I realize, all right, well, maybe the forgiving that I had to do is, is, (laughs) maybe it had to be to forgive myself (laughs) and my preconceived notions or whatever. And, And that's just a part of the journey. It's not meant to be shame. It's not meant to be self-flagellation. It's not meant to be, well, how can I whip myself in order to make sure that I, you know, prove to God that I'm sorry or whatever. It's more just like, I thought I knew who you were and you continue to reveal to me that I, I don't, but that you want me to. And every step of the way is another revelatory kind of process until I suppose we pass through whatever mysterious veil that death is and join him on the other side of it. do you look past a hardship in order to forgive? And I think some of these questions relate maybe um, less obviously to not forgiving God and some of those frustrations, but sure. to other people. Yeah. Uh, how do you, and then one student asked, how do you relate forgiveness in your everyday life? Um, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of at an interesting point in my life right now where I don't think that the goal is to look past anything, um, but but to kind of to kind of welcome it all. Um, And maybe that's just semantics. Maybe that's just me being Mr. Analytical Poet Brain Boy, you know. But I do think that I have experienced far more freedom from the wrongs that I have had to forgive uh, by looking at and accepting them instead of suppressing them or pushing them down into some corner and trying to forget that they're there. We have this whole like forgive and forget thing. I don't think that that's real <laughs> at all. I think that each one of our, e- e- each, 
every piece of what has been done unto us and that we do unto others is a part of the DNA that comes to make us who we are. And so I think that there's a lot more freedom to be gained. And that is a lot of what forgiveness is about, right? Like forgiveness is not so much for the other person as it is for you. There's the line in the, the final piece that I did yesterday that talks about um, holding on to anger and picking at scabs that I don't have the scope to see as a cell block. And it gets to this place where it says hate is a prison. Like at the end of the and that's why it ends with you might never get your apology. Keep forgiving. Because forgiveness is an opportunity for you to free yourself from what has been done unto you. And I'm not going to act at all like it's as easy as just saying that and moving on. That's why the overlooking part is something that I kind of want to pull us away from. I don't think anything is as simple as that. Um, and I know that it takes a lot more hard work to sit down and stare the trauma or the pain point or the difficulty or the wrong square in its eyes than it is to like, close yours or cover it up and and try to like sidestep it i just don't i just have never had any luck whatsoever with trying to sidestep anything and acting like i <laughs> acting like i dealt with it um so so then when it comes to a question of everyday life it's like when those things come back up you know like I, you know <laughs> we are the I'm going to include me with you. Like, I know I'm a little bit older, but we're the generation that deals with words like triggers and things like that. And some people want to push all of that away. I think that it's very real. So when things like trigger you or something comes up for me, uh, you know, my initial response is anxiety. One, because I think my body's trying to protect me from the pain that it knows it has to look at again. But I think that the more I recognize what my natural response is, which is fight or flight, it's to run away, it's to be afraid. And, it's, and, and, and inevitably, the more you do that, the more you're stuck in the unforgiveness, the more you're stuck in the prison that you're creating for yourself. So for me every day, if I'm on an eight-hour drive, <laughs> I drove overnight from Omaha to get here in time for the event yesterday morning. Stuff comes up. You're by yourself with your brain, and there is no escaping yourself. Sorry. I know we try to do it all the time, but the more we can enter into the stuff that comes up and say, oh my gosh, like, that's frightening. That's a frightening thought. Well, how can I look at that thought, and how can I meet it head on, and how can I, how can I see what the Lord has to say to me about it? Do, am I this thing that I'm afraid of? Do I have to become my fear? Do I have to become my anger? Do I have to become my unforgiveness? Or can I look at it, realize that that too has been something that's absorbed um, and something that, can, that can, I, can, I can look at and I can acknowledge and I can say, look, yeah, that was a part of, that's a part of my story. There's no rewinding, guys. That's one of the difficult parts about growing up. There's no rewinding. Um, but there is, there is an opportunity to accept and, and, and move through it uh, every time it arises. And... That often is daily. Thanks, Levi. Uh, a couple questions about uh, poetry itself uh, before we kind of move into you sharing um, some mm -hmm. with us, mm -hmm. which is, um, I, I think you answered this question uh, already, but I'll just, I just thought it was a great way to sort of 
say what maybe some, some people in the audience were, were thinking, like, mm -hmm. why do you speak using poetry rather than just speaking normally? Um, <laughs> why is poetry so special to you? What do you like about it? Um, and I think you answered the question of uh, when did you start writing it, mm -hmm. but I think especially there were some questions about um, are there other ways you approach God other than poetry? Mm -hmm. um, and sort of th there was one, too, about, like, poetry can get to uh, maybe different audiences. Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of things in there. I'm throwing sure. at you, but I'm wondering, can you speak to, to some of that? Yeah. Um, well, hopefully this sit-down is evidence of the fact that I do speak in other ways other than just poems, all right? And also... Um, <laughs> I don't know how great I, <laughs> I always joke like, yeah, man, sorry. Like, I'm way better at saying things that are memorized than I am uh, saying things that are not. So, but yeah, I mean, I, poetry for me, I'll be straight up. I didn't even like poetry for the first, like, seven years of calling myself Levi the Poet and doing this thing. It was really hard for me. I was never a fan of academic poetry growing up. I didn't understand it. I thought that it was boring. I didn't want to read The Road Less Traveled. I don't care who Robert Frost... I mean, now, you know, now that I've made this a career, it's like, okay, I'm moving into uh, understanding a little bit more about this stuff. For me, it's been less about like calling it poetry or whatever, even though I think that it is that, than it has been about finding, <laughs> I mean, part of it is like self-discovery, if I'm completely honest with you. Some of it is there's a swirl of thoughts happening up here, and I'm mostly trapped in and confused by them all. Which of them can I pull down, put on paper, concretize, and make a foundation that I can actually stand on top of and say, I think I've gotten to the core of what I actually think about this. At least for now. That might change in five years, and I might rethink all of it, and that's a part of the process, too. Um, for me, it's a lot about finding the thing beneath the thing. Finding the truth beneath the platitude. Finding... Um, the presence beneath the repetitive statements that we have to give to one another because that's what has been ingrained in us or in me. Um, and, and I also love the exploration of what is beautiful. You know, you guys have this quote on your... Uh, you guys have this quote on one of the quote things out. Yeah, see uh, how good of a talker I am. You have a quote on a quote thing out there, and it talks about, and it's a C.S. Lewis quote, and he talks about like I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun, not, you know, because because it's by by this that I see everything. Um, for me, when it comes to my faith and and the way that I try to exact that or understand it through the writing that I do. It's like, well, how do I put this on like a lens through which I get to see the rest of the world? And that seems to be something that is just a part of my makeup and who I am. I can't, I can't really not do that. And when I try to not do it, I feel very <laughs> uncomfortable inside of myself. And so I use poetry to try to figure out what in the heck is going on. And, uh, and then I share it with others to try to have these kinds of conversations. Uh, one final question about that process um, mm -hmm. that students wanted to know. How do you memorize so much stuff? <laughs> um, how do you do that? What does the process of crafting that look like, and how do you how do you? 
I, I mean, the short answer that I gave to somebody out by the table yesterday was uh, I write really slow and then I talk to myself a lot. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm on these drives trying to listen to myself out loud, like, okay, well, how do I perform this? How do I memorize this? I mean, I, you know, sometimes stuff will come flowing out of me and I'm sure that I am uh, going to be on top of the world forever. And sometimes it'll be four years between records and I'm just like, what in the world am I doing with my life? And, uh, and so, I write really slow. I tend to read everything that I write, every line that I write a thousand times before I write the next one, and then I read those two lines a thousand times before I write the third one. The good part about that process, once I get over being extremely angry that it's that difficult to write anything, is that by the time I'm done, I've read it 57 billion times, and it's mostly inside of my brain. So that's nice. Uh, and that's, you know, the mechanics of the process. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, final question for you, Levi, before I um, have you introduce your piece here uh, this morning. Uh, what's the best piece of advice someone asked you'd ever been given? I mean, I can't, I can't lie. I told you last night. The best, I, I mean, yeah, we'll run with this one because it's been the answer. The best piece of advice that I've ever been given is... Um, that's going to be a censored one because it has a, a bad word in it. Um, <laughs> I'm just, no, no, I'm not going to say it. Don't you dare whisper that to me. I know my audience. I'm not doing that. Uh, we're just going to say, don't try to be cool. Tell the truth. That's the best piece of advice that I've ever gotten. And I've spent a lot of time trying to be cool and trying to pander and trying to make people like me and trying to figure out how I can get bigger and be liked more. Um, and it's never been as fulfilling as simply telling the truth and letting whoever resonates with what that truth is show up on their own time. And that's what I resonate with and other people too. Truth. Uh, so, I'll create some space here for you to um, share the piece you wanted to share. Do you want to, um, I don't know, I'll, you want to introduce or speak to kind of what it's about, where it came from? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I told you about my story, told you about my family. Um, I, out of, the, out of the loss, out of my art, out of my kind of um, wrestling with my own uh, history and internal dialogue in a public way, um, I partnered with an organization out of uh, Florida called To Write Love on Her Arms. They work in the mental health space. Uh, they, um, uh, they, they act as a, they, they've been really active in the music scene ever since I kind of got involved in it. I believe they launched in 2007. I saw them at a music festival, loved it because of my own stuff that I was dealing with in middle and high school, and then eventually became friends with and partnered with them on the other side of, of kind of the loss of my father and the work that I was doing as a poet out on the road uh, in, in the music world. Um, they gave me the opportunity a couple of years ago and then again last year to be a part of uh, something called their uh, World Suicide Prevention Day campaign. 
September last month is, uh, you know, it's, you know, globally like World Suicide Prevention Month. And so they dedicate themselves to creating conversations surrounding, surrounding everything that has to do with uh, what might lead a person to that place. And they asked me if I would write something uh, to, to kind of be the spearhead for the campaign. So I wrote a piece that I'm going to share with you called It's All Worth Living For. And it talks about how the good and the very bad are worth living for and living through. That's the sort of embrace that I was talking about. Um, not, not looking at things and calling them what they're not, not lying about what's bad and calling it, calling it good, but, you know, recognizing this is all a part of it and these things shape us and we have the opportunity to, to grow into to what, to what they have to teach us um, as, as we continue to say yes to life. So that's what the piece is. Thanks, Levi. Yeah, you uh, bet. Let's thank Levi for his input and in fielding our questions. And I'm yeah. going to uh, step aside. <laughs> no, I'll, 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 I'll remain. Um, ooh, boy. I'm not quite this tall. Uh, yeah, thanks, you guys. Thanks for the opportunity yesterday and today. Uh, it's been a joy for me, and I appreciate it. Thanks to all the students, all the faculty, Brian, the school. Um, it's rad to be able to come back out here for a second time, so it means a lot. Um, one other thing that I was just going to say for those of you uh, who are interested in it before I conclude with this, um, you know, a lot of my work has a lot of music with it. A lot of it has a lot of, uh, you know, like it, it's, I, I know we didn't do that this time around, um, but like as somebody who might just be interested in pressing further into it, if you just freaking Google or Instagram Levi the Poet or Spotify it, you know, like you can find stuff. And I put some CDs in the back. Um, I understand that CDs are an incredibly outdated medium. <laughs> uh, so if anybody wants a CD, they're one dollar. Just put a dollar in the box and take a CD. And if you don't want to do that, whatever. Listen to it for free online. I'm just trying to say that there's more opportunity to hear more and more full kinds of things if you feel so inclined. So um, anyway, about the poem. So I just, <clears throat> I just had... Um, does anyone in here like coffee? Are you all coffee drinkers? All right, cool. I just had, I just had the most god-awful <laughs> cup of coffee that I have ever had in my life. <laughs> Not from here. This is good coffee that Brian gave me. But it is the best to start out with that line when you're actually playing in a coffee shop. <laughs> you know, like, they want to host you and they're like, yeah, come play our coffee shop. And then you say, I just had the most god-awful cup of coffee that I've ever had in my life. And I did that the other night when I played in uh, Springfield. And the barista looked straight into my eyes like, what the heck, man? And I looked straight into his like, how long can we hold this weird, awkward gaze with one another? <laughs> uh, it wasn't there, you know, like, 
I drank it at this local diner, uh, charging specialty prices. Like they didn't buy it from Costco, you know? Three weeks ago, in bulk, new three-pound-sized Folgers tubs, not cans, not cool, good, third-wave coffee bags from really cool places, tubs, <laughs> tubs. <laughs> Plastic versions of the ones that my great-grandfather used to spit in when I was a kid. Boasting mountain-grown quality since 1850. His? Half full of saliva and cancer. Whose threats amounted to little more than minced words when dementia beat his gums to the punch. Look. Eventually, we are all going to have to leave, but slow down. Stay a while. Let's not force it. Gigi used to shuffle down the hallway through shag carpet, and I know your grandparents had shag carpet. <laughs> that covered the house with tentacles or a 1,200-square-foot trampoline like Jesus, the only name that he never used in vain, gliding over storms to take his friend's hand, the old man would float around the corner and high-five the grandkids with a thin-lipped grin like kid you have absolutely no idea what life is. I want to find out. We had to jump to reach his hand, and the smack of our skin sounded like a pop tab cracking into the morning Budweiser he'd drink as religiously as you'd sip a cup of coffee at 7 a.m. He's all beautiful and weathered and leather-skinned, like maybe gutting so much of that dip throughout the years, finally began challenging just how much a body is able to tolerate before it starts to break down. I know you ask yourself that same question all of the time. Spit it out. I'm still here. God, I'm still, you're still here. And still might be as much of a miracle as here ever was in the first place. So let's not waste it. We are still here to make this memory today in Chaska, in this room. Trying to cover up the taste with cinnamon and mocha powder, neither of which quite get the burn out. But we know how that goes You've got enough experience with people trying to tame solar flares with band-aids to know that sprinkling platitudes onto the scars on your arms will not be enough to convince anyone that life is beautiful. But maybe, maybe 
the wonder of another actual human being actually sitting here and subjecting himself to drink this for the sake of being in your presence will. Anyway, <laughs> I'll tell you all about it if you want me to, but this cup of coffee, <laughs> ah, it is so bad. You've got to try it. I want to hear about your family. Tell me about your great-grandfather and how he got through the Great Depression and tell me how you'll get through yours. This moment is a part of it. Breathe. I want to high-five my son's son wearing whatever vintage is 65 years from now with beauty and pain and wonder and presence written into the fault lines all over my face like I have made my mistakes. And the earthquakes are real. But they shape you. And the ravines created are gorgeous places to let the sunlight cast its shadows through. We can hold one another's hands in the process. I will let you squeeze until mine breaks if you must, but don't let go. Tell me about the love of your life and what color her eyes are. And whether their tint seems to change depending upon what she's wearing that day. My wife's fluctuated between special dark and milk chocolate. So like, not at all. <laughs> and she is worth living for. Please stay. I know you need ears to hear this kind of thing. And I know that those kinds of ears are miracles. I know that it's not as simple as simply being committed to either life or death. But while there is still breath in both of our lungs, then there is still time for me to say, please stay. Stay for the wedding. Man, I swear that first glimpse that you get of her rounding the corner like a dream is enough to transform you into everything and nothing at the exact same time. Stay for the reception, for toasts from friends whose lives are better off with you, but willing to subject themselves to the small deaths that each of us experience when it comes time to forego our jealousy and let the lover in. Stay for the wedding night. All awkward and glorious and vulnerable and naked and unashamed and painful, and empty, and full, and perfect. Like the dichotomies that you are and always have been. Like two becoming something else. Stay for the fights. 
They're devastating and necessary. And if you are able to temper the moment, I will be the lightning rod that you will need to strike over a cup of very bad, very overpriced coffee at 4 a.m. when the couch springs are stabbing you in the back. I won't say a word unless you want me to. Stay for forgiveness in the morning. After the sun has gone down on your anger or your sadness or your wanton abandon and mercy still finds his way to meet you when he peeks his head out over the mountains to the east. Stay for every memory that we will embellish around the dinner table until it becomes legend. Definitely not the way that it happened. <laughs> but also like, you know, definitely not a lie memorialized and floral, the way that fiction gets at truth like laughter. When we tell one another the stories year after year and they grow, and at this point, we are all sure that yes, as a matter of fact, 100% it did rain literal cats and dogs during our darkest nights. And we thought that God was gory, but it is all grace now, and life is movement, and we are making and shaping and breaking and being made all of the time. This coffee tastes like the bad action movies that my dad used to love. I imagine him whose presence I feel Every time DC introduces another Clark Kent who will never quite be Christopher Reeves, gulping that mud down and calling it something absurd like delicious, had he accepted the invitation to stay. The way that I loved to help him light the pilot beneath the hot water heater in the house that we grew up in. Legend. He needs you. She needs you. They need you. We need you. I need you. Please stay. Find what you were made for. I just had the most god-awful cup of coffee that I've ever had in my life. You've got to try it. It is all worth living for. It tastes like a morning liturgy. And my great-grandfather's high fives don't forget that there are voices on the outside of your head, too. And they sound like futures and carrying the love that you told me about through the front door of your first home together, and dreams, and hiking the blue trail through coastal towns in northern Italy, and stopping for bread and wine that cost less than water along the way, which was awesome, and music, and tucking your daughter to sleep the first night she moves out of your room and into her big girl bed, and love, and parking tickets, and love, 
and changing light bulbs in the bathroom and love and the promotion that you've been working toward and love and being let go and love and holding your friends close when they are breaking into pieces and love and your friends holding you close when you are breaking into pieces and love and atrocious cups of coffee and everything that we have to tell one another about where we came from and where we want to go and love and all of the help needed to get there and love and being loved and love 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 I just had the most <laughs> atrocious cup of coffee that I have ever had in my life. You guys have got to try it with me. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.